This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free the chains in me Is anybody out there hearing me? Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, Proclaim liberty to captives and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along and I am a rogue Christian. And part of what is a big part of a rogue Christian's life is prayer. Prayer is where our power comes from. Prayer is the measure of our spiritual power and our our walk with God. Prayer gives us the power to overcome any sin. Prayer gives us the power to overcome the spiritual battles. And I say prayer gives us the, the power to overcome any sin. There's, Of course, there's other things involved. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed and and finding out, looking at the heart wounds, and there's there's more to that, but prayer is a big, huge piece. And you've heard me talk about how our churches should be houses of prayer, and the early church was devoted to prayer, and so prayer is a big deal. And we're going to be talking about prayer and some other topics today with my guest, Brandon Burnett, calling in from Colorado Springs. Thanks for joining us, Brandon. You bet, Mike. Thanks for having me. So I'm just going to invite you to go ahead and start and Share your story. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, so uh, I grew up in a broken home, not a Christian home by any means. Um, you know, around seven years old, my family and parents got divorced. My dad was a drug addict, alcoholic. Um, Mom was working, you know, two or three jobs when they divorced. So spent a lot of time alone. Um, me and my sister were about seven years apart, never really got along, and just kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, kind of grunted through life and, and didn't really seem to have much of a purpose. Felt a lot of hurt and pain even early on, I can remember. And um, it wasn't until, you know, my dad turned his life around when he was about, when I was about 11, 12, he was about 30 some years old and he gave his life over to the Lord. And, you know, I seen a radical difference in him. I don't remember him talking to me too much about Jesus, but I started to realize that something got a hold of my dad, and I knew it was Jesus, and even though I didn't know him, I thanked him for giving, you know, my dad back to me because he was so gone, so absent with drugs and alcohol, and, and you know, later I found out even um, pornography and different things of that nature, and so that was that was definitely a witness to me and, and bringing me uh, to know who the Lord was, but even seeing that and my dad warning me against going into drugs and alcohol and things like that, I, I, I did the exact you know, thing he told me not to do, which was live for you know pleasure and live for partying and fun. And I think I used that just to kind of numb the pain that was going on in me. So in high school, I really got involved in the party scene. And you know, long story short, I got arrested three times before I was 21 for drinking underage. And 
uh, you know, being involved in drugs and different things like that. And um, God really used that, though, because the community service director, you know, I was assigned community service and the director of that program, you know, on a cold Sunday um, in Michigan in the, you know, dead of winter, which uh, winter's there pretty brutal and the snow doesn't melt, it mounts up. And they basically said one Sunday morning, hey, you can shovel snow for the next hour, you know, eight hours actually to earn a full day's credit, or you can go to this church around the corner and sit in for two services. And um, that would count for a day's worth of work. And I thought, man, you know, church isn't that bad. I could fall asleep in the pews. I used to go with my dad and I kind of had some experience there. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for that. Um, shockingly, the other guys that were with me, it was probably like six or seven guys. Their hearts were so hard and they didn't even want to go to church. They chose to shovel snow in the dead of winter in Michigan rather than go to church. Mm, (laughs) Um, I didn't know what was going on in them, but I jumped at the opportunity and essentially sitting in service that day for two services, the message really got a hold of me, the gospel message and the hope um, in Jesus Christ. And I started to feel a peace I'd never felt before, a hope and, and eventually even a joy in life for the first time. And even my heart started to soften towards my own family, which I had a lot of bitterness towards, and I had a lot of hate in my heart. And um, I just seen a radical change, and so did my mom and family. And you know, slowly but surely, they started coming to church with me. And you know, at first it was so exciting; everything was so new, and God was so present, and and everything was still uh, you know mystery. But I was just so excited about the future and what God was going to do in and through me. And so many things fell off me. I had a, I had an easy time, you know, getting away from the party scene, the drugs, and um, even the swearing and a lot of things just, you know, fell off me pretty easily. I didn't have to work at it a whole lot. I just knew I wanted to pursue this other life and there was true repentance in so many areas. But the one area that really still had its grip on me was with pornography. And just to kind of rewind early in my story, I told you guys about my dad, being a drug addict, alcoholic. He was also addicted to porn and I found this out later, but one of my earliest memories as a child, around five or six, and the way I remember this is just, it was so shocking, it was burning in my, into my brain, is my dad, for whatever reason, thought it was a good idea to watch pornography in the middle of the day when my mom was gone. I don't know if she was at work or at the store, and I was in the house, you know, pushing my trucks around. I can remember one day, vividly just pushing my truck in the living room and looking up and seeing on the screen these naked people doing, I had no idea what they were doing, but it was just a shock to my system and I didn't understand it. I just kept playing with my trucks, but I know it's on some level that affected me deeply, um, mentally and, and I'm sure uh, spiritually and emotionally. So I think I took that with me and, and didn't really revisit it again. So I got a little bit older and started having those urge, urges to check out and desire for sex and women and all those things that come along with puberty. So around 12, 13, I remember finding my dad's stash of pornography, which he later told me, although he was able to, you know, shed the alcohol and the drug addiction, the porn stuff stuck around. And I think he justified it to a, a big means um, having it around and, and being, you know, a single dad. So essentially I got involved in pornography through him. And it, uh, you know, although I had this real conversion experience with God, I could not seem to shake it. And I knew what the Bible said about sexual sin, and I tried, but the harder I tried to remove this from my life and to stop it, it seemed that the worse it actually got. And I tried to just outrun it to an extent by being busy, by just reading the Word more, being in prayer more, being involved in church more. I thought I could, if I did all that, I could earn the favor with God and 
then he would deliver me or I would become a better person by doing all these things. And what essentially happened is I just burned myself out and I went to all these recovery groups and counselors one after another until I found you guys and met with you. And at that time I became a pretty religious person, as you know, and I was puffed up with a lot of head knowledge. So I knew of the Lord, but I didn't really know him on a personal intimate level. Um, so many years of this wrestling and trying to do everything and find every shortcut and do everything that every book ever told me, I just came to the end of myself. And that's when me and you started kind of going deeper and exploring some of the heart wounds. And for me, it was more mom wounds than dad wounds, surprisingly, because my dad, once he turned his life around, was very involved in my life, uh, very encouraging, very affectionate. My mom was very closed off, never really said she loved us, but I, I knew she did on some level, at least I hope she did. Um, but my dad, you know, he was kind of my, my hero at that point. I had a lot of issues with my mom. So we kind of walked through a lot of that stuff and that kind of leads into, you know, where I'm at today with, with prayer, which I'll, I'll hold off on and diving deeper into that for now. Hmm. Well, thank you. And, uh, some questions here. So when did your dad give up porn or, or did he? Yeah, so later in life when I really kind of came out and just exposed myself to those that I loved, my family, my friends, just to tell them, like, this is where I'm at with these things, because it was causing, it's really driving me into isolation, and people are asking questions, and I was struggling emotionally again. I had a lot of rage and anger built up, and so I just felt convicted one day to tell my dad, and um, my dad's remarried now, my stepmom as well, to tell him, hey, you know, I've got this this problem, and I can't seem to stop it, and you know, even at that time when I was going over their house, I was using their computers and I'd stay over and things. So I had to tell them just for my own safety so they would help me lock those things down. And I told my dad, I said, you know, I was actually exposed to pornography through you because I remember you would leave it on in the in the house and I knew that you had a stash of pornography. So when I was a little older in adolescence and curious, I would seek out that stash when you were gone and it got its hooks in me right away. Mm. and I've never been able to shake it, and, and I want to, and he admitted to me then that, you know, so I have the same same issues, same struggle, you know, alcohol and, and drugs were actually easier for me to kick than this, is what he essentially said, and I was pretty shocked by that, but he was convicted too, and I know at one point he threw away all his videos and magazines and really tried to leave, uh, lead a clean life in that way and a sexually pure life, and, you know, we still have open dialogue about it to this day, which I'm very grateful for that we can share our struggles and what we're going through. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I believe he's really found some freedom and victory there, although he's tempted like all of us. Um, he, he's he's definitely on a much better path. So, hmm. You talk about rage and anger a couple times. What, what was that connected to? You know, looking back, I think it was the frustration of trying to be holy, trying to be you know, this godly man and really wearing a mask, putting on a front. But I knew deep down I had these, at one point there were secrets, but even when I was exposed, I knew I was living kind of a double life. And I think it just tortured me inside to the point where this anger would just keep boiling up. And my remedy was just to stay busy. It's just, and they tell you this sometimes in recovery groups, you know, to stay out of trouble, stay busy, keep your mind on other things. And that's what I would do. But the problem was all these feelings were bubbling up and I just kept pushing them down. And what would happen is it would manifest in anger and rage, and I would just lash out at times, you know, as a single man alone in my room or throw things or whatever. And then as a married man, unfortunately, I would lash out and yell at my wife, take it out on her or my kids, um, because I just was not dealing with what was going on in my heart. Hmm. Was there anybody you needed to forgive? 
Yeah, you know, I, I did have to forgive my mom. Uh, I, she, like I said, when she was a single mom, she was working two to three jobs. She wasn't around. I feel like I could open up to her, talk to her about anything, and she was one. And really, my family was of this mindset to just, you know, suck it up, push forward, don't be weak. Like feelings were a sign of weakness, and hurt was a sign of weakness. So you didn't want to expose that. So I was kind of trained to shove those things deep down. And I think I had a lot of resentment towards my mom for that specifically, and some other members of my family. Um, so yeah, I, I had to get some healing for her specifically. And there was a couple other people in my life that had hurt me that I had to had to forgive over time. And my dad, you know, like I said, it was a lot easier to forgive him because I seen a repentant life. I seen a changed life where he really turned it around and really involved. So that, that was easier. But my mom was surprisingly hard. It took many years of counsel and bringing those feelings to Jesus and, and asking to give, you know, for him to give me the power to forgive her. Mm. Yeah, you hear a lot about the father wound, but you don't really hear much about the mother wound. And so when Mother's Day rolls around, what kind of emotions go through you? <laughs> yeah, you know, my mom, when I turned my life around and, and started giving my life to the Lord, there was a, you know, a definite change that people could see. There was a joy at peace that I didn't have, like Ed said, and there was also some anger and rage there. But for the most part, I was I was really striving to do right, do the right thing. And my mom, a lot of times, would take credit for that. I, was, I would hear her say that in front of my aunts or uncles. Oh, yeah, I raised him so well. Look how well he turned out, this and that. And I would just kind of cringe, like, you didn't do this. <laughs> you did everything, you know, in spite of what you did, this happened by the grace of God. And um, she would take credit a lot for that. So Mother's Day, I felt this pressure to, like, give her things and, you know, praise her for being a good mom. But I, I resented her on some level. I, I did love her. And my mom eventually came to Lord too and started really to change. And I could see that, but I was still holding on to these grudges from the past. So Mother's Day and specifically Christmas was very hard around the holidays mm-hmm. with family. Um, a lot of things would bubble up. Um, again, my mom taking credit for a lot of things, a lot of... Um, just the way she would interact with me, I had a hard time just being real and vulnerable with me. She still tried, you know, to keep treating me like a kid on some level too, and minimized a lot of things that I would share with her. So it, it was hard, but eventually the Lord started to work on those wounds and help me to see her in a different light with compassion and empathy. It sounds like at some level in her heart, she's got might have some walls up there still. That I do, or my mom? Your mom. Yeah, you know, um, I think, you know, God's still working in and through her. She had a really, this is something I have to remind myself of, my mom had a really hard upbringing as well. Her dad was actually killed when she was young, and mm. she had come home to her dad being, you know, witnessing him in the aftermath of that death. He was actually shot, and um, she had a, a stepdad that was very verbally and physically abusive and used to beat her mom and her sister, spared her, but she had just it just hardened her heart, I think. So she had a real hard time showing affection, um, you know, physically, but even um, verbally saying, I love you, saying things that were heartfelt. So once the Lord started to really reveal that to me, I think it softened me and it, it helped me to empathize with her and, and why she was the way she is. And slowly but surely has been softened her heart in those areas. Mm. You talked about there was, in the beginning, uh, a lot of work at trying to be holy. And where where did you get those messages on that you have to try to be holy? And where do you think that came from? 
You know, Mike, I really believe that was the message I was hearing in the churches I was going to, both when I lived in Michigan and when I moved out here as a new believer. Um, you know, I went to mostly evangelical. The first church I went to was Baptist, but it was a lot of, you know, pray more, do more, um, serve more. It was just a lot of doing and not a lot of um, just experiencing God and seeking Him for who He is. So I just strive, like everyone else I was seeing, just to do more, because to me that equated to holiness. The more I would do, the more favor I would earn, um, and the more I would impress people. And I think a lot of that is also promoted, and people will give you pats on the back, good job, good job serving, or reading the Word, doing these things, and it was almost... um, promoted in a way and cheered on in the church. So I just kept doing that until I realized it was not working. Mm. So I'm guessing you still felt empty at that point? Yeah, I think I did. On some level, I really felt empty, lonely. You know, another feeling I'd use is just feeling inadequate, not feeling like I could ever measure up, that I could ever do enough, because I could have a great week and just one bad moment feel like a failure. It was never enough, and I just was not seeing the fruit in my actions. Uh, you know, uh, this time spent serving and reading and praying, although there was, there was times where I would genuinely experience God through that, and it was good, but I know I was doing it more out of duty than desire. I was reading the Word because I I just I knew I needed um, to read the Word. I felt pressure to do so, and even in early on in recovery, when I was trying to overcome sexual sin, they would tell you, read the Word every day or twice a day and pray three times a day, and we just went through these kind of check boxes of these things we would do to feel better about ourselves in the moment. But ultimately, when I looked at my heart, it was still hardened, it was still empty, and I still felt alone, and I knew something was off. Mm-hmm. You talked about recovery groups uh, and the messages of stay busy there, and when we're working with people, we often try to help them understand you need to slow down. <laughs> And we talk about rest of soul and connecting with God and how important the prayer life and listening is. And what what is your take on all that? So, Mike, you were the first one that gave me permission to actually do last. The first time I ever heard that, the first time I met you, is like the last thing you need to do is, is just more ministry. If anything, you need to step back from that and spend more time with the Lord. And I never heard that. That seemed like, a, you know, blasphemy. Like, oh, I do less ministry to, to actually experience the Lord more. I thought I had to do more ministry to experience Him and His favor. So when you told me that, and just also just give me the permission to say it's okay to be broken, and it's okay to step back so that God can start to work in and through you and heal you of these wounds so you can be more effective if He does call you into ministry. Um, so that was refreshing and energizing to say, man, I actually need to do less because what I'm doing is not working, and just hearing that from another man and getting permission, it was it was uh, just a ray of light in my walk with the Lord. And then it was like, okay, what do I do with this time? It was uh, just a whole different different uh, avenue just to spend time with Him and pray and listen. The listening part especially was really hard because my brain was just uh, going in overdrive, and I couldn't get it to calm down. So it was hard at first. I mean, you talk about the brain going on overdrive. I, I mean, I've experienced that, too, where I've tried to settle down. And what I've learned is just you give it a little bit of time and and don't try and control it or stop it, and eventually the mind will start to slow down and, and ease up. 
Yeah, what I found, the Lord really started convicting me of all the noise in my life and the distractions and how I needed to start to cut those out. You know, when you think about it, even as a Christian, we've justified and allowed all these means of entertainment, media, and not that they're all bad or sinful, but when you have so many distractions that keep you from the Lord, it is a problem. And I think about Jesus when he said, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, then remove it. And for me, media was a big stumbling block, whether it was TV or scrolling on social media, my smartphone. There were so many distractions, so many noises, so many things that were taking my heart from the Lord, my mind from the Lord. And when I started to remove those things, at first, it was awkward as having more downtime and silence, but I started to hear from him more clearly. I'd have little glimpses of uh, just his presence and just this peace would come over me. But even then, I still had this natural innate desire just to stay busy and go to these other things because occasionally unpleasant feelings will come up, right, that are uncomfortable. And then you just want to numb out. And, you know, if you're not doing porn, you justify, well, I can just binge watch TV or I can play games because those aren't sinful like porn. So as long as I'm not doing porn, I can do everything else under the sun. And really, I'm doing the same thing. I'm just numbing out with something else. And you can get addicted to just about anything. And it was essentially taking me from the Lord. So it was a lot of like two steps forward, one step back, me falling on my face and realizing, okay, that's, that's not working. Where did I Where did I go off course? And it really just kept leading back to spending more time with Him. And, and more in silence than in speaking, because so often I was just blurting out words and stuff or recycling canned prayers that I heard in church or grew up with, but my heart really wasn't in it. Mm. So talk about silence and what, what that looks for, like for you. Mm, so that has been the biggest breakthrough of late for me, honestly. So when we first started meeting and I read your book, Road of Grace, and started seeing these uh, different ways of praying, which you would call maybe a silent prayer, just, just being with the Lord, not saying anything, just being still and allowing to speak to you. And going back to all those noises, you know, in our life, when we have the TV and the smartphones and computers going, like even if the Lord was yelling at us, we might not be able to hear him because we're so distracted with so much noise. And I remember times in my marriage where my wife would talk to me in the same room and I'd be so zoned out with media or whatever else that I wouldn't even hear and she'd have to repeat herself and she'd feel so hurt. And so this idea of silence was scary at first because when I first started to do it, I could only do it for a minute or two in my mind. I couldn't get it to shut off. I didn't know what the off switch was. I kept going back to it and, it, and it, and it literally took years of just feeling convicted to go back to those places of silence um, to, to recently just getting to the end of myself with trying everything under the sun and, and seemingly failing in my view that I said, man, I need to spend more time with the Lord in the verse that came to me was in John fourteen fifteen, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And a lot of times, myself included, we jump to just trying to obey the commandments, almost white knuckling through them. But we miss that first part. He says, if you love me, then you obey the command. So the love part has to come first. And I thought, well, how do I love him more? Well, it's not a relationship and spending time with him. And like I said earlier, even when I was spending time in prayer, it was more me blurting out things, requesting things, asking for help, deliver me from this, from that, struggling here, that. Just this laundry list of things I needed the Lord to do for me, like he was some sort of genie in a bottle, but there was no real relationship, no dialogue back and forth. It was me talking, but not spending time in silence listening. So I was, I was confused as to why I wasn't hearing him, but that was, to me, the light bulb moment. It's like, well, I'm not hearing from him because I'm not spending time allowing him to speak to me. Mm-hmm. So eventually I started coming full circle back to this 
place of silence and solitude with the Lord. And, you know, we've talked about it. We see all these examples of Jesus going off into the wilderness and solitude. And the Bible saying, you know, be still and know that I am God. And there's scriptures around this that we just kind of brush over. Uh, but I know, as Jesus says, that he wants to give us rest. And the only way that I found that is by sitting at his feet and, and allowing him to speak to me and just to work in me. Even when I don't know what he's doing, just sitting in silence, more and more I'm enjoying it. And at first there was only a couple minutes I could do it, then five or ten. And now I'm enjoying it, and, and 20, 25 minutes is nothing, and I enjoy every minute of it. Um, except for those times, right, when those feelings come up and bubble up that are uncomfortable. But even then, I just give my, myself permission to feel those feelings that I've been pushing down all these years and eventually go through it. And I think of it like grief. People say you can't go around it or over grief. You have to go through grief. You have to allow that grief to process in your heart. And like any negative feeling, I think you have to allow yourself to feel it before it would dissipate mm-hmm. and, and just keep giving it to the Lord. So just spending those times in silence centered on Him with my heart and mind my mind wanders, if I feel these negative feelings, I just give it back to him, and I put it at his feet, knowing I can't fix it, I can't change my heart, and that gives me a peace and helps me to just sit there and enjoy his presence more. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, my friend, and thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.